right. Joseph, welcome back. Master James, thanks. Mi hombre. Yeah. Joe Sidon uh, <laughs> for your newest nickname because you... Uh, the latest of many. The latest of many for your love of surfing in the water, which we should, we should chat about. We should. The unbelievable similarities of surfing and life and then also uh, Vedanta. But I want to kick this off with, I feel like we need to kick it off with a few weeks ago, we were in the ashram in India together. You came to India, man. You did it. Five years. Crazy. In the making. Amazing. Uh, for listeners, I went to uh, India right outside of right outside of uh, Mumbai is where the, the ashram is, where our teacher and the author of my favorite book of all time, Vedanta Treatise, it lives. And we went there. I was originally planning to go after COVID, but COVID obviously just feels like it's never ending. And he's 94, mm. uh, turning 95 this year. So I didn't feel like time was, there was a chance time was not on my side to wait until the end of COVID. So I'm glad we made that happen. How'd you find the ashram? Yo, we actually haven't chatted that much about mm. uh, afterwards. Like we, we were there together for mm. uh, for every nearly every moment of it, except for my except six. for the first six days. Yeah, when you were in quarantine, which you loved. The, I loved the quarantine. The yeah, the first six days because of COVID and it being it being just so dicey to have in it. We got we got a couple friends on the roof trying Something to on the roof. Yeah, yeah, a couple squirrels trying to listen and. The yeah, the first six days was just quarantine, and then the COVID test to make sure I didn't have it before I came into the free flowing activities of the ashram. Mm-hmm. But the whole trip was nine days, and I loved it. It was on a scale of one to ten of what I expected. I'd say it was right at a. Oh, I will always be brutally honest on this podcast and any podcast I do. It was right at a 9 out of 10. I wouldn't say it was 11 out of 10. I wouldn't say like 10 out of 10. It was everything that I wanted, but certainly didn't under-deliver. Mm-hmm. It was pretty amazing. It's in this, these foothills. I didn't know that it was in such a gorgeous spot. Mm. In my mind, I was thinking, okay, the Himalayas, the Himalayas, that's the... You know, the foothills there, those that's the most beautiful mm. part of India. Mm. And that is uh, in many ways this the spiritual home of of Vedanta, so to speak. And so I thought, okay, this is removed from that. It's two hours outside of it's only a few miles, but the traffic is, is pretty bad. So it's mm-hmm. a few hours outside of Mumbai, outside of Bombay. So I thought, okay, that's not it's it's not gonna be the most gorgeous. I'm not going there for the, the visual beauty, but holy crap was it just absolutely stunningly gorgeous with its own maybe it's because and we chat about because the Himalayas are and that is the correct way of pronouncing it people i'm not uh mispronouncing <laughs> it himalayas is the uh incorrect pronunciation yeah. or so i'm told so because those are so insane yeah these foothills yeah. that are near these hills that are right outside of yeah. malavli where the ashram is you know they barely get mentioned but to to me oh my god there it was just this beautiful valley amazing mm. light every day and i had no idea that it was actually the latitude of, of costa rica you said 
roughly yeah it's it's maybe yeah central america somewhere in there maybe not exactly costa rica but it's pretty close to the equator yeah so super tropical yeah year round year round and the birds uh the just the flora, the fauna was very was very tropical jungle. It's very famous for birds. For in fact, birders from all over the world go to that village um, because there's a river flowing next to the ashram, also, and um, a lot of birds migrate there from Siberia. So all oh, these wow. beautiful birds from Siberia and Central Asia in the winter come down to that part of India, and uh, that's why you would we heard. There's, we were always talking about the birds and all the different... Every phone call I had, people were like, wow, what, what's, what's, what's in the background? Yeah, what's in the background? <laughs> yeah. Same thing happens when I call people from there. There's just birds everywhere, especially in the winter when you mm-hmm. were there. So it's really um, beautiful. And those mountains are the Sayadri Range. Very ancient mountains uh, from when India was an island, you know, off the coast of South Africa, basically, which it was, I mean, millions of years ago. And until it floated up, however that works. Wait, what? Yeah, India was a was a massive floating island, floating on in the sense that piece of the crust, not on mm-hmm. water. However that works, I'm not an expert. Yeah, but um, yeah, it came up, and when it hit Asia, that's how the Himalayas were made. Oh wow! So yeah, they're the youngest mountains in the world, the Himalayas. What? And uh, by far, and the Sayadri, the western side of india where we where the mm-hmm. ashram is that that those were big mountains i don't know when the dinosaurs were walking around like a long time ago so they have that worn kind of aged you know rounded weathered look mm-hmm. but they are beautiful and and the wind in the you'll have to come in the monsoon the monsoon's a totally different situation it just rains every day um which is actually really good for introverts. If you want to study and reflect mm-hmm. on philosophy, it's, it's really nice to have just a solid drumbeat of kind of white noise, rain in the background. Yeah. And uh, the hills are all green. Those hills are all, you know, jewel green and there's waterfalls flowing all through them. It looks like they're right next to the ashram. Mm. It's just when it's dry, they don't seem as, as close. But um, yeah, it's about... Um, it's about 100 kilometers uh, southeast of Bombay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the moment you leave Bombay, you go up into that into the range. You elevate, I don't know, I don't know, maybe 1,000 feet up or something above sea level. I'm not even sure where, mm-hmm. where exactly the uh, ashram sits. And um, yeah, it's a pretty amazing little oasis. And Swamiji used to go there much before he ever thought about having an ashram. The, the house where Swamiji's bungalow is, mm-hmm. where we had dinner with Swami multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, that house used to be owned, was like a kind of a vacation home, a farmhouse, basically, for this uh, uh, family who would host Swami while he would, he would write Vedanta treatise there in, that, mm. in the upstairs room of that house. So he knew about that place. And to get of, away from it all. Yeah, kind of how special it is, how beautiful it is. How conducive it is for philosophy and this this whole lifestyle. Yeah. So when people came and you know started talking about an ashram, uh, that place was a logical choice. Yeah, yeah. It's it was yeah. The visual beauty. You can look up photos of it, but it. I just 
didn't move. I, I didn't think of that as a motivation to go, but it was certainly mm. uh, stunning and a pleasant surprise. And the the whole trip, I was really just felt like this is. It was interesting. It wasn't a whole lot of excitement to go. One because it's obviously contrary to what we're studying each each morning. Uh, excitement and um, it can really cloud the mind. But it was just kind of like okay, this is the right thing to do and the flight was obviously very long it's 22 hours of of travel or so but i didn't mind it was just like this is uh this is the right thing to do mm. and luckily the most supportive wife in the world for me for me to leave for 11 days with two little ones uh, so um hats off to cheney and her support and you know when you put five years into something, I think she's like, okay, <laughs> he's taking this, uh, quite sincerely. Mm. And, uh, but then it was six days two twenty-four 24 hours to get there. The time change. So it's almost like a day and a half. Yeah. And then six days of quarantine. I thought I was going to get me. Honestly, I didn't mind. I thought I was going to get maybe an hour with, with Swami. So, uh, so you were ready to go for 10 days to meet Swami for an hour. Easy. <laughs> I mean, just you, it's an even better story. That's legendary stuff, man. Well, it's it's even better story. So I was like, I don't know. It, it there's it's so interesting if you can expand the imagination. Something yeah. that seems yeah. uh, that seems undesirable can become desirable. Just you know, keep expanding. And I was I was like, yeah, that if that because we didn't know how much time I'd get to spend with them. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was certainly a possibility. I was like, oh, that'll be cool. And they loved you, man the ashram you had been there one day and people were being like hey i met james i'm like how'd you meet james james is in quarantine and i don't know we're gonna get in trouble here with you but people are like no nah, this guy just started calling me from the balcony and what's your name where are you from you know they loved you man and cheering for the soccer the that soccer was okay meet. that was the other surprising aspect was yeah. it was so active yeah you'd think that's great an ashram being essentially um <laughs> an eastern you know, monastery of sorts you'd think it would be yeah monastic yeah quiet stillness everywhere mm. and yet it is so active yeah so gregarious mm. uh they yeah they right outside of the quarantine little home that that i was placed that i was in soccer every day just yelling and he's probably average age of maybe 25 26 year old yeah. students just yeah Going, oh, younger, younger. Younger, maybe. I think average is like, yeah, closer to 20 nowadays. Oh, wow. It's quite young. And it's, uh, this is a common thing. It's, it's so fun to see people have this reaction. That, my God, the ashram is like, feels more like a college or something. It's so, it's so active. It felt it's, like camp. Yeah. It yeah. felt like camp where it's sure. like this activity that's fun and yeah. this activity. And then yeah. you'd go to the dining hall. Right. And it's just, you know, just so much laughter conversation and and yeah. it's such i could talk just an hour on the interpersonal dynamics that are unique of a place where everyone is studying a philosophy to see god in everything mm. creates quite the dynamic when you're interacting with someone mm. you come from that base or at least you might not see it but you're striving to see that yeah, I think that's the word, the base, the the foundation of all the fun and the the lightheartedness and the cheer is uh, serious bliss. 
Mm. You know, to put it that way, <laughs> it seems a contradiction. Or let's put it this way. A lot of people that are quite serious about bliss. That's the early morning study. That's the ashram wakes up early, as you saw at the morning prayers. It wakes up at 4.15, and the, the, there's a serious dedication to understanding the truth, understanding bliss, understanding reality. That's the, that's the base. And on top of that is built all of this lighthearted, cheerful, active uh, activity and lifestyle. But you know that there's something running deeper through the place than just like a, it's it's clearly not just entertainment. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to describe, and, and the, but that is that is what Vedanta is trying to describe. What's difficult to describe? Mm -hmm. So there is value in, in the attempt, and. The in the word for it, uh, obviously satsang, mm, yeah. uh, true community, community and truth, and community and seeking the truth. Yeah, company of the good, company of the good, and that company is, of the real, company that, of those seeking the real. Right, and that's I think it's that's that you know still barely scratches at the surface, but if you have company around you <clears throat> that, like you said, takes bliss in the pursuit of it, so. Sincerely and knowing that it is an, also an internal navigation, then everybody has the manual on how to live well. And you put those people together, and collectively, the sum is greater than uh, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts you have. And and I know full well I know n none of what I'm talking about after only a few days of the ashram. It's it's like a few days at a college. You don't get the real experience. Mm. But there is that energy and that dynamic. That is something that I do know super unique. You get that early days of a startup, mm. but not the immediate, not the, the middle ages or the, the later stages of a startup. Interesting. The later stages, people are fighting for their own little empires. They, it's like, it's more akin to at Airbnb, for example, at 5,000 employees, <clears throat> it was more at times akin to Lord of the Flies mm -hmm. and the exact opposite of how it can be when you're 12 people yeah, just trying to create something new and you know that everyone will benefit when everybody is on. Yeah. Versus when, you know, a mind of so, scarcity. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a... A connection between an, an inspired founder and having a guru present also so one one thing that it's not one thing it's the fact that swamiji is this is his institution it's all like we we're we we're walking around saying this is that way because swamiji put it there this is that way because swamiji and not to be a fanatic but when you have a person a, a, an enlightened master who is showing the way in a community like that so powerfully literally deciding the design of the place like we were talking about there's no pillars in any of the halls and everything there's no encasings in the light that that could trap moths or yeah, bugs all these little kill things. Like, all these little like things crazy <laughs> amount of detail detail every little detail is um directly swamiji's influence on the place not to mention just his um, 
his example of his life and his presence is he's there you know and um that that is not to be missed in the description of the the uniqueness of the ashram for sure mm-hmm. hmm. i'm trying to think what are it's it's very difficult to friends have asked so many friends have asked like what were your favorite parts and it's kind of like describing if you go out of the country for the first time you see something so completely different for the first time you experience something so completely different it's not a it's impossible to say this is a, there, there were no like favorites the whole thing was just this is so interesting this is endlessly interesting yeah yeah and it was the tiniest things i could try to come up with a few because i i i I know my friends were dissatisfied with that answer. answer. Like it's, it was, it was I, I compared it to, it was like studying abroad to where I can't come up with a few different things that were my favorites. Cause the whole experience was something to unwind or untie for several months and years. Yeah. Some of the things obviously uh, Swamiji said to me were, are those, those little puzzles to, work on for years yeah you had like three meals yeah or, or more more three than meals and then we went up for we one of them we went to hang and spending time with swami yeah mm-hmm. yeah it elevates you i think he said something along he used that word james is elevated when you were talking about you were describing he said he either said it to us or he said it to you i don't know yeah I don't. Uh, James is elevated. He's he's been elevated by the experience. I, w- I don't maybe, know if you were there. If he told us that, I'm not sure. But it's, I remember it, him saying it. I think maybe even regaling the stories is isn't a great use of uh, of time. Yeah. Especially at least for this episode, because one of the things I want to get back to is is this is our first episode after the launch of YFYI, and I want to get to some of. The highlights there and 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 some of the reinforcing points that that i've heard from people that it, it i just want to cover that event from friday and i think the experiences at the ashram will it will just they'll naturally be woven into our yeah. conversations and and different episodes yeah I, I will say one of the the most remarkable parts was what i didn't hear and you uh, know, this one, I don't know if I'll, it might be a long time before I'm comfortable saying this, this, this story out loud, um, because I think it could just, I, yeah, I think it's just a, a private thing for me to work through because I don't even know how to interpret it yet. But, uh, one thing that, that Swami said to me in one of the meals afterwards, I was asking, there's about eight people that would get the meals with us up in this bungalow in the second floor in the upper room, so to speak. And we would uh, meet around this, this table and have this uh, amazing food. And, and he's 94, but just so, so dynamic and, and just such great conversations back and forth and so damn smart for, I would say something and think that I could expect his answer. And it's just, very it's impossible to expect that answer it's 
it is impossible to uh, if to if you're so not used to seeing a mirror that mm. closely. Mm. You just look at it for the first time, and you're like, "I didn't know this was happening over here. I didn't know this was what." What I, you almost, mm. I didn't. I almost didn't. Mm. There were parts that I didn't like about how it was just going to be very congenial, and then boom, brutal. Like, no, you're thinking about that wrong. Um, mm. One of the things that uh, that he did say that I didn't even register, um, and maybe the elevator was was in the same bucket was. Uh, afterwards, I asked your wife Christina and uh, Suko, one of the other people, well, what were your favorite things from from the meal? What were some of the notes? Because everyone would write down notes. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, sure. And and they both said uh, it was really really remarkable that he said X Y Z. I never heard him say that. And uh, again, maybe it'll be in the next episode or down the road that I'll say what what he said. But they and then Christina separately separate space said yeah i thought i'd never heard him say this before i thought it was really interesting um and it was about jesus and if that uh jogs your memory and and i i was like what when when suka first told me he's like what he didn't say that I said yeah and then christina said the same thing so it was verified two separate sources right afterwards and it was one of them, it was maybe the most notable thing that they had heard him say during that meal. Mm-hmm. And what I found remarkable about, remarkable about it was I didn't even hear it. And it was a crazy thought that I would have thought would, would stick, really stick in your mind. And it just made me reflect on we only hear what we're ready to hear. So much of what we perceive is just what we allow to come in, what we are capable of of perceiving. And that's the only thing I can think of. How the hell did that not jump to the top of the list, mm-hmm. blow me away? Mm-hmm. And I think it was because it's one of those times in life where, you know, we've all had these these moments where you get advice from a friend or a loved one tells you something completely brush it aside or you just even more so black it out because you just are not i was not i guess seemingly ready to hear something like that and that was one of the most remarkable parts of the trip was what i didn't perceive but Mm -hmm. luckily had Mm -hmm. two sources Mm -hmm. remind me and recall how how uh, remarkable that uh, what he said was, I, I don't mean for this to be cryptic, but I also uh, yeah. just felt like one of the most meaningful parts of the trip was me journaling and reflecting on, holy shit, how did I not mm. register that? Mm-hmm. And and I worked on that for like two days. How did I not register? How did I? Yeah, because I, 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 there was no lack of attention being paid during the meal, but it was through. We never know, right? Yeah, we never know. <laughs> We think there's no lack of attention, but actually the mind is just not available. It's not there. For It could be five seconds. It could be 10 seconds. Swami says that all, he says, why do I keep looking around the room when I'm lecturing? Usually he would say it, and he'd say in the ashram, but when he's lecturing to thousands of people, he, used to, he would tell them, he'd tell the audience of 2,000 people in Bombay or Hyderabad or Chennai or wherever he was lecturing. 
he'd say, I'm, I, I'm constantly scanning the room to see who's listening. So when one guy's listening, I look at him and I'm talking to him and then he, his mind goes away. And so then I go and I look at the next guy who's listening. I talk to him until his mind goes away. And the next guy, he's like, this is natural. This is the, this is the mind. The mind by itself cannot stay in the conversation. Hmm. We could be talking right now, looking at each other, but thinking about what we're doing in our exciting afternoon. <laughs> just totally it's gone already just mentioning it right happens all the time so you listening but maybe not listening or trying to or dwelling on maybe what he had said to you three sentences ago hmm. and so you're not available for the next thing so this is why uh shravana is so important uh what is that? shravana is is listening so Shravana, manana, nididhyasana. These are the three steps for the elimination of ignorance in the traditional Vedantic path in the, the spiritual journey. And everyone, since these are conversations, this is just the public version of the private conversations that Joseph and I have had for five years. Yeah. Um, I will be taking notes during, yeah. during this. Do you mind saying those again? Shravana, mm -hmm. manana, like manana, but not. Mm-hmm. And nididhyasana, which is uh, what to say, meditation, meditative mm -hmm. contemplation. And so Shravana is listening. Can listening. you go, th go through all so you, three? So of those? You, uh, you've got to spend a lot of time listening repeatedly to the same information. Mm. Um, this, is, this is the classical way. So it's not about just uh reading the next book and the next book and the next book and what that person said and that you won't actually retain much mm -hmm. so the ashram is constantly hearing the same ideas maybe from slightly different angles but hearing the same ideas over and over and over again this is shravana this is um key first step also manana so not only hearing it but reflecting upon it questioning it picking up an idea and looking at it from as many different angles as possible uh, and then ultimately getting to the state where you're able to hold a concept in your mind in a meditative, contemplative way with devotion, with feeling, until you ultimately become that which you think of. Mm. But uh, what I just summarized is a lifetime or could be many lifetimes. So the, the shravana never ends. We're constantly uh, re-exposing our intellects to these ideas repeatedly because there will be things in it that you just never registered before or that Dude, you, I'll you be, never registered I will, that deeply i will be completely honest i don't even know what manana is yet because i'm still thinking about shravana yeah and caught into trying to listen to that precluding me from listening to the other like i'm just my mind races with Listening, what listening, is listening better. Yeah, listening more. This witnessing my desire to think through the next question to continue the conversation. Yeah. And I, I'm going to have to ask you to repeat manana one more time. Yeah, manana is reflection. Okay. So you've heard an idea through shravana and manana is, it's been registered. Then you take it and you look at it from as many angles as possible. This is another word, pradipaksha bhavana. It means looking at something from as many angles as possible. 
That's so, part of reflection. Yeah. So this mug, beautiful mug, you can look at from so many different angles. Like, what is the mug? It kind of depends, you know? So all the different ways you can look at the mug. But first you have to register the mug through Shravana. Through listening, you've got to grasp the information. You've got to get the basic information, right? But then deeper than that is you've got to reflect upon it, uh, uh, question it, try to deeply understand it. And this is a lifelong process, lifetimes, many lifetimes probably, to really get to the bottom of a concept. So uh, the, the syllabus at the ashram and, and what we recommend, especially through Swamiji's e-learning program, uh, which is really the ultimate thing people can do if they want to get exposure to Vedanta is the vedantaworld.org e-learning program. So easy. It's basically, yeah, you, what you'd have to do 100 years ago to to find these lessons is unthinkable. Yeah, you keep but, saying this. The, the, it's a miracle that Swami's written this, that he wrote in English, and now that you can watch it from your room in Santa Monica. So, so. It, it is nothing short of a of a miracle in the world we live in right now that uh, he wasn't path dependent of like, no, this is the tradition. He was like, no, it's, I'm going to write it in English. Yeah. So we, I mean, you read, you read the four gospels and it's been translated over 2000 years, a million times, it's but like it's seven languages, seven languages from Aramaic to uh, Greek <clears> to <throat> you're going to get old English. And then, and, and so to have someone <clears throat> that is even reading Plato, you're going to lose so much you're reading Descartes and French to English, uh, it, you're going to lose so much, but to have a philosopher write in English mm-hmm. and and also just so obviously pristine, so clearly, completely, and practically, it's not... And I uh, mean, one degree uh, away from Sanskrit when it comes to the... You know, a lot of the e-learning program is is Sanskrit texts, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, Bhajagovindam, Atma Bodha, these texts are... Uh, originally written in Sanskrit language. Mm. And it's a, dire- it's a translation direct from Sanskrit to English. And Swamiji himself, the commentator, the writer, the trans- he's picked what, mm. transla- what word he wants to use to represent that Sanskrit word. I mean, you, you, I guess you could speak Sanskrit, and that might be more direct. But otherwise, um, this is pretty dang close. And he's, you know, English literature scholar. Right. That... Uh, lawyer as well studies yeah, yeah. and grew England up with shakespeare so, i mean right so he it's the perfect uh he's the perfect conduit as uh, you say he, he's a miracle <laughs> right it's, it truly is and then truly. also you add in it's in your phone um this is not a a uh we don't benefit in any way from other than just knowing people will benefit by people going yeah. and doing yeah. the uh the online lectures or or checking out the online lectures at uh, we'll put the link in the description, but the but the fact that you can have an ashram in your pocket, you listen to it as you walk in the morning, listen to it in your bedroom from your bed, yeah, um, and and it's in English. It is you can with a tap of a button buy the book, mm-hmm. buy you know the the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, which was only translated in English in 1785. Mm-hmm. It's younger in, in terms of our exposure to it than America as a concept is. Mm. It is. So it's, it, to try to find a Bhagavad Gita in English in 1750, impossible, didn't exist yet. To try to find one in 1850, 
1950. 1950. Good mm-hmm. luck finding a bookstore around you that would that would have one. Alan Watts would talk about <clears throat> the the bookstore that he'd have to go to in Berlin to get uh, this certain version of the I Ching mm-hmm. or whatever uh, mm-hmm. book was extremely hard to find. And now we get access to these with the ebook with a tap of your button, boom, it's on your device. It is that is nothing short of. I mean, give someone loaves of bread, five thousand loaves of bread. Remarkable miracle from a single loaf of bread. Deliver five million copies of hmm. of a talk through YouTube hmm. that someone can listen to instantaneously from their pocket. Hmm. Talk about are we paying attention? Hmm. That is a friggin' miracle. It's a miracle. And really and yeah, is. if you want to start with just YouTubing, uh, Swami, feel free. Uh, the so the, the what I was going to say though yeah. is just to finish that is that the e-learning is unabashedly repetitive, mm. right? And and it's for a reason. Um, Swami says pile driving. He says I'm pile driving these ideas into you because uh, the human mind's nature is to drift off. So points are being missed. Things are being missed. Um, the e-learning is very repetitive. The syllabus at the ashram is very slow. It takes two years to read the 700 verses of the Bhagavad Gita. That's there where people are doing it seven days a week, 365. So we're not so much interested as in uh, breadth of study, just entertaining the intellect with new fun turns of phrase, but actually getting that repetition so that we really get a handle on the information. That's shravana. Manana is to deeply understand actually what it's saying. So, so shravana deals with basically lack of information, you could say. Manana cures lack of understanding. Nididhyasana solves lack of experience. And how does nididhyasana translate? So listening, uh, reflection. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, look, it's a. <laughs> this is where I wish I had like that matrix, like I could download Sanskrit, you mm-hmm. know, and just and like do it. Yeah. That would be amazing, but I don't have Sanskrit, unfortunately. But l- loosely translated, nididhyasana is meditation. But um, from whatever little understanding I have, it, it's it's pointing towards a meditative contemplation where you've got the information, you've got a deep understanding of the import of it, and you're able to sit and hold that concept in your mind, in your heart, in your whole body contemplation. To experience it. To become it. Just, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, but it's, it's really subtle. And uh, unfortunately, the, the Sanskrit, we could do some research and maybe come well, back on it, you know? I think it's one of the, <clears throat> one of the, I imagine that's one of the, and you say with little what little knowledge you have of twenty five years of uh, study, but the, I, I imagine there's a true aspect in that experiential learning where you're mapping the knowledge to the action of your day, to yeah uh, your that reflection or it's you know the actual the research is crystal clear on this. The neural pathways that get created from reading mm-hmm. or listening mm-hmm. is nothing compared to experiencing 
and and actually having the emotional fluctuations of of how an experience happens and and it basically this was maybe six or seven years ago that i read the research on this and it was basically like reading doesn't create any Mm. true applicable knowledge because it doesn't create the neural pathways for you to really uh to know mere, mere reading mere information will not do that it will only make you more intelligent this is the point. So we, we discriminate clearly between intelligence and intellect. So yes, if, if we're only reading books and reading about philosophy, we're not going to become philosophical. You know, the, the cliche armchair philosopher thing. We're not going to, when it comes to our own lives, we're not going to be detached. We're not going to be objective. We're not going to have uh, perspective, which is the foundation f- uh, for the freedom from pain and suffering. It comes from perspective. Now, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily plunge into the world of action and, and uh, experience to, to take your word. But there has to be deeper reflection than mere information. You can absolutely bring about a transformation within your personality, and I'm guessing in your neural pathways, although I don't know, um, through reflection. That, that's the power of manana. You can absolutely, through knowledge, through reflection... Uh, change your behaviors. The subtle controls the gross. That being said, I'm, I, I don't deny that when we have, when that, uh, what there's a famous saying that, um, what is it? Um, uh, behavior, uh, action precedes mood. That mm-hmm. I, I heard this somewhere recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Rich Roll I was listening to say that. And he's right. I mean, obviously, if you want to, uh, um, change your inner state for most of us to go for a jog like you'll have a different experience your mind will become conducive your brain will become conducive for a different experience but it's not necess- it's not that the gross necessarily controls the subtle the subtle if powerful enough if the intellect is powerful enough to do reflection to do manana in a dedicated sincere way repeatedly you can change all of it without having to actually suffer. Actually means physically go through certain experiences. It is mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. But um, not, not to say that action and experience is not extremely powerful. But I'm just, just to say that it's not impossible to do it through knowledge. Right. It, it, if, if we do it this way, that's the, that's the difference, right? So, I mean, I remember to bring it back to Manana. I remember uh, being in a seminar with Swamiji in, it was Dubai, I think, <clears throat> Dubai or Abu Dhabi. We were in the Emirates, and this was like 2002, and uh, it was a corporate seminar, a um, bunch of business people. It wasn't a super transcendental conversation. It was very practical, stress and productivity and whatever, I think 2002, and um he described mind and intellect, which is literally the first thing I ever heard him speak when I met him in 1996 was mind and intellect. And between then and 2000, first thing that you, that I heard you ever, first thing you ever heard. Yeah. It's it's, that's the point. It's the, it's the starting thing that we say, you were saying yesterday, best thing you like to explain Vedanta is to say humans have a body, mind, intellect. Mm -hmm. So, this thing I've heard between 1996 and 2002, I don't know, 
5,000 times? <laughs> like, how many times have I heard it explained to me? Have I read it? Have I written exams at the ashram about it? Have I heard Swamiji say it? And 2002, for whatever reason, that day, that afternoon in Dubai at that business conference, uh, Swamiji explained, all human beings have a body, mind, intellect. A mind is your feelings, emotions. The, the. I think that's the day I heard it. I really think that's the day I heard it. Not that I would even, I would not claim now to have heard it yet. But that's the day that I heard it, like maybe for the first time. Mm. And that's, that's eight years in or, or what is it? Six years in. What did that feel like? I was just stunning. I was like, oh my God. Wow. He's saying, <laughs> I have these two inner equipments. Emotions, feelings, likes and dislikes, desires, attachments. Thinking, reasoning, judging, deciding, contemplating, re all this. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain. I don't know how to explain what it felt like. It was just like the British say the penny dropped. Mm -hmm. Like something just like settled inside me. On mm -hmm. Wow. And this is the... <laughs> most fundamental basic first chapter idea in any book you'll read of swamiji's and it i, I really think it, it when we truly understand what is the mind what is the intellect how do they interact you'll be a perfect human being and very close to enlightenment i, I really don't think that's what i mean when i say i haven't heard it yet hmm. there's still a lot more to hear but you i don't know it's like a perception of depth that you just know, you thought, oh, I've understood it. It's on the surface. I, I get it. I've repeated it. I've told it to others. I've taught I've, it. I've taught, yeah. Others have, have found so much value in me, mm. my repetition of those words. Absolutely a, like uh, a nuclear bomb when it hits you. And that's just one of the ideas. I mean, that's a crucial core idea. Do you mind going a little bit further for people? That, this might be their first episode and they're hearing that for the first time. What is that nuclear bomb and, and what does that distinction mean for people to have two inner equipments instead of just thinking that they've got a mind, a brain, but they've got two? Yeah, I mean, we just generally say, um, we refer to my mind. It, it, even uh, very commonly people talk about body, mind, soul, body, mind, spirit. Um, it's a very common type of phrase especially kind of in the yoga world here in general people talk about body mind spirit so it's like you have a body everyone knows that and then everyone kind of we all kind of think we know that there's this thing called a spirit so we're like yeah i, I agree we have a body uh, any spiritual person will say yeah and i have a soul i have a spirit and in between all oh, let's call it the mind but in between is everything in between is the personality the body by itself is a corpse my finger doesn't go up and down without my mind asking it to do that. It's a meat bag. It's a meat bag. <laughs> it's a rice bag in, in, in China. They say in some Buddhist Zen monk, it's a rice bag. But yeah, here it is a meat bag. You're right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a vehicle. The body's a vehicle for these two inner equipments, manas and buddhi, mind and intellect. Mind is feelings, emotions, likes and dislikes attachments all the flowy stuff it's the child in us 
And I don't mean like the psychological inner child with trauma and this and that. I mean, it's literally like a child in the sense that uh, you have two beautiful daughters who are great, but we wouldn't leave her, either one of them, in this house alone for very long, right? We love them. They're great. They're beautiful. But a child doesn't have that reasoning, rational, self-regulating quality that an adult has. So the wall is a perfect place to paint. It's mm. such a good spot to paint. You know, why not? And to them, there's no like, there's no issue. And, and it may, this is a problem for us, right? So the, the child in, it, the, is the mind in us in that way. It's just in, in the, the, the comparison is to the irrationality of it. The other equipment is the intellect, the buddhi, and that is the ability to reason, to judge, to decide, to act apart from the mind. There's a part of us that can act apart from our desires. Which is just so subtle but radical to feel like, no, I have to follow my dreams, aka my desires. That's what I want or to Or avoid happen. my fears. I have to f avoid my fears. That's where, no, this inner voice, a singular solitary inner voice is saying to do this or that and what you're saying is no there is there's something maybe more subtle but it's there to yeah. develop as well that's the buddhi the intellect that's yoga for your intellect that's mm -hmm. what it's all about is is strengthening the yoga is strengthening the intellect through first of all the first step in yoga for your intellect is shravana remembering you have an intellect and remembering it every day. Remembering I have a mind, I have an intellect. This is massive. Just to remember I have these two equipments. So if we tell, if we tell a person, which we do all the time, you have this equipment called an intellect. It is the human equipment. It is the superpower that a human has that allows it to be dominant over nature and all other creatures for better or worse. Not that we're doing great things with that at the moment on a planetary level, but we have that capacity, right? To change our environments, to act despite our instinct, to act other than our likes and dislikes, to put ourselves into uncomfortable situations. You know, this is the, animals don't have that capacity. Only a human being has that capacity. So first of all is just to remember, I have that capacity. I have these two equipments. And then to consciously strengthen it, give the intellect ammunition to meet life to reason and lecture against the impulses of our own mind we need an intellect to govern ourselves to manage ourselves successfully uh, the classical uh, example um, is to compare the inner personality to a river so the water flowing in the river is the mind the manas the heart it's flowy, it's irrational, it has no direction of its own. It needs something external to give it that direction. That's the water in the river. The banks of the river are the intellect. If the banks are strong, you can have as much flow as you want in the river. No worries. It's going to be fine. And it's a beautiful thing. You could build an entire civilization on around the, the river. Banks. On the banks of the river, you can power the civilization. You can inspire. So much poetry is written sitting next, sitting next to beautiful rivers. You can channel it for hydropower, what have you. Same thing. The mind is 
uh, again, like the child, a wonderful thing to have in the home so long as there's an adult. It's like that. So the intellect is the bank's water flowing is the river. The entire person is, uh, is the mind. The entire inner personality, the subtle body is, as we call it, is um, compared to the river. And as we as we run out this conversation, yeah, you mentioned the ways to develop it. The first thing is Shravan is listening. That you listening to this right now. That you have an intellect. Yeah. What is a another practical way that someone listening to this can say, "Okay, I get it <clears throat> that I have it. Now, what to do with that information?" Uh, listen to it again. So, if you're wondering. What are these guys talking about? Listen to it again. And then go back and listen to the earlier ones and eventually get a hold of the books and start in a systematic way moving through the books. Fall of the human intellect, Holocaust of attachment, governing business relationships, Vedanta treatise, the eternities. There's a study course that is recommended that people go through and the the incredible thing about what Swamiji has created with the literature is that the reflection is built in. It's repetitive and it's on purpose repetitive. Not only is it repetitive, but each time it's repeated at like another layer of depth is added. So like Vedanta treatise, it, there's, a, there's a first part and a second part and a third part. So you get the same ideas again and again, but each time the idea is presented, it's from a slightly deeper uh, viewpoint because you would have seen the simpler ideas in the earlier chapters. Mm-hmm. The Gita is the same way. So there's a study course, a recommended study course of 12 books, um, which uh, people can go through in a, syst- a systematic scientific way. Um, 20% reading, 80% reflection. So read a paragraph, pause. Reflect upon it. I have uh, three Zoom classes a week at the moment. For the everyone's welcome to those classes, and um, we do one of the classes is on Saturday, the Bhagavad Gita. Some days we do more than two verses, but very rarely. So we'll spend an entire hour on four lines, on two verses. Sometimes it'll be one verse. You know, and um, and it's not as as if it's boring. It's because it's such a radical. You just can't fill someone's head with too many brand new ideas. No, I mean this, like want. what we're talking about right now, Shravana Manana Nididasana is 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 a lot for people mm-hmm. to register. You know, and and uh, the, the, one other thing to say about it is, it's not just like reading it so that I can try to understand it again. It's it's reading it to be reminded. Oh, right, that's how things is. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, that's what I am before you meet your day. So it's like brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. And, and within your day, you're going to be met with the average American is, is met with 2,800 advertisements a day. Wild, yeah. So if you don't take a proactive approach to combating yeah. the hypnosis that you're mm-hmm. going to incur just in a daily life of hours of tv of billboards of facebook and instagram ads sorry if you're catching a lot of magic mind ads from one of my companies we're part of the problem but 
if you don't inoculate yourself yeah. proactively, you are going to be at the whims. You are going to be at the whims of of twenty eight hundred different companies that really just want you to do what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, that repetition, you either feed it nutritionally to yourself, or you're going to get it twenty eight hundred times. I don't know how you. I don't know a single extremely fortified mind that can withstand 2,800 reminders a day or messages a day that they need something else to be happy yeah. uh, and and go through it without a scratch unless there is this daily cleansing of the intellect. Right. You got to polish your mirror. What did Thoreau say? Thoreau said, in the early morning, I bathe my intellect in the stupendous and cosmogonal philosophy of the Bhagavad Gita. Dude, this is one of the big, it yeah. is, Americans are going to, in the West in general, is going to take to Vedanta so hardcore because it yeah. is, yeah. for America, the the original American thinkers, quote unquote, the original American thinkers, transcendentalists, Thoreau and Emerson, uh, and Hawthorne, they all studied the Gita. They all were, as Alan Watts puts it, uh, to be original, you must speak from the origin. Mm-hmm. And and that is the origin of yeah. of America. Okay, more to come in the next episode. Uh, cool. We hope you all enjoyed this conversation and we look forward to the uh, our next one next week. Thank you all. Woo, that episode was fantastic and if you are digging yoga for your intellect and want to introduce this philosophy to your co-workers and your team well joseph and i are down to come visit basically an in-person yfyi come visit with you and your team in the same way that you might invite a yoga instructor for a team building event we're willing to come to your office and talk to your team as well we can do it over zoom as well it is uh it's whatever makes sense but uh, we're even down to do it in person. And that is just in line with the mission of making this philosophy available and accessible to all those that seek it. Joseph and I would love to come talk with you and your team about Yoga for Your Intellect. And that really comes from my perspective of running businesses for the last 15 years and just knowing, man, it was about 10 years ago, I was running a 50-person company Led to a trip to the ER, is drinking seven cups of coffee a day to try to stay on top of everything. Um, trip to the ER with a heart condition. Needless to say, it was a very, very stressful, extremely stressful time in life. And that business ultimately failed. And 10 years later, I sit here and, and get to have these conversations with with Joseph while running two companies and and a venture fund, each day just feels like it's a hot knife through butter. I have not had a single day of stress in the last six, seven years of building multiple companies and and multiple venture funds. It's truly remarkable, and I know that it's not me or the businesses that are different than 10 years ago, but it's my approach to each day and quite literally to the start to the day because every day starts with this philosophy for me. And we want to share it with your team. For me, it feels like an obligation of sorts. 
and a loud siren saying that teams and companies around the globe need to hear this. So if you're interested, email us at, this is the key thing, email us at yogaforyourintellect at gmail.com. That's yogaforyourintellect at gmail.com. Use the email address in the show notes, and we would love to come chat with you and your team.